I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to the first ever edition of Go and Do International. Uh, this week we're joined by Jared De La Cruz, all the way from Australia, as we discuss Helaman chapters 7 through 12, where we talk about, once again, the topic of remembering the Lord, and also the importance of listening to a living prophet. We hope you enjoy it. So, one other thing, well, the, the lesson, I like the, the little uh, intro paragraph that the lesson has right underneath the heading. It says, Nephi and Lehi and others had many revelations daily. And he gives us Helaman 11, 23. Frequent revelation is not just for prophets. It's available to you too. Recording your impressions can also help you receive revelation more consistently. And as I was reading this chapter, these chapters, uh, what really stuck out to my mind is that uh, Lehi and Nephi magnified their priesthood callings. And they're a great example to all of us of how we can become aligned with the will of Heavenly Father. And when we become aligned with His will, He trusts us more. He gives us more power and more freedom in a way, right? Because we feel oftentimes that religion or the commandments is very restrictive, but they're not restrictive. They are a method of teaching us how to become like Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. And when we become like them, then we can act and feel what they feel, act how they would act, and represent them to our families and others. No, oh, I mean, there, there's obviously the part that um, he's praying to the Lord and he's asking you know, what do I do, basically, with all of these people and their iniquity and stuff, and expressing not only just frustration, but real true sorrow. Like, he really genuinely is hurting that the people are not remembering and not paying attention, not only to him, but just, I don't know, it's not like, oh, I, I feel like a failure, or I feel like this. No, it's like, he, he, he pains for the welfare of his fellow man. And you can tell that he's really genuine about that. And how the basically the Lord basically tells him, listen, you say the word, it's done, right? 
whatever you say will happen, whatever you, because I know that you would never ask for anything that isn't righteous, that isn't appropriate. And to have that level of trust from the Lord, to be able to say literally whatever you feel is right, um, and he'll make it happen. Wow. Like, I, I don't know if how many people have reached that level of trust with the Lord, but it's, it's truly just a lifestyle of I'm committing myself to obedience and I'm committing myself to service, right? Because he knows whatever you're going to ask, it's going to be something genuinely good. Yeah, I, I think it was um, right at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 7. In chapter 2, he tells us he goes to the land northward to preach the word. But in chapter 3, he tells us they rejected him. And so much that he just, he returned back to the land of his nativity. He kind of went home. He went back home, right? And when he gets there, he realizes that they're also as wicked as as the as like everyone. And <laughs> chapter 4 and 5 is is pretty kind of sets the mood for for how terrible things are for him. And he says in chapter four, and seeing that the people in a state of such awful wickedness and those Gadianton robbers filling the judgment seats, having usurped the power and authority of the land, laying aside the commandments of God and not in the least a right before him, doing no justice unto the children of men, condemning the righteous because of their righteousness, letting the guilty and the wicked go unpunished because of their money, and moreover to be held in office at the head of government, to rule and do according to their wills, that they might get gain and glory of the world, and moreover that they might that they might the more easily commit adultery and steal and kill and do according to their own wills. wills. That's a big contrast to King Benjamin, you know? When we read about King Benjamin, how he served and labored with his own hand. He, you know, there was no reason for anyone to, to question his motives. He was a leader that was there to serve the people. And this is more people that were very selfish, abusing their power and abusing their authority. Or in, in our terms, it could be unrighteous dominion. You know what I mean? Practicing yeah. unrighteous dominion, uh, wanting to be glorified by others, you know, and, and that's when he goes and he, he kind of gets in this garden tower and begins to pray. Yeah. And he, it's like this lamentation, uh, you know, that he cries out. But it's also very, it's, it's very, you know, I, I see these examples in the book of Mormon of, of contrasting mm-hmm. similar behavior, but contrasting. You have the people that ran the that would go up on a tower and pray out loud to be heard. And now you have Nephi up on a garden wall, praying, but very different, <laughs> very different prayers, right? Yeah. And very different outcomes, right? And I think it's interesting how, you know, it, here, when you, as you were finishing reading there in verse 6, um, it says, um, he did exclaim in agony of his soul. And so he, it shows how much, I guess, in in turmoil he was because of what's going on inside him. But then he kind of wishes like, well, I wish where my days were in the days of when Nephi crossed the waters and arrived in the promised land, you know, the people there more, more righteous. And then makes me think that sometimes I feel like it, us, we could also wish the same thing. Like, oh, I wish I was in the days of the pioneers or Joseph Smith. Mm. Oh, I wish, um, 
sometimes because of the state the world is in, we sometimes wish that we were somewhere else where in times where, we, where it seems that things were probably more righteous. But, but then I guess that term, the side is always, the, the hill is always greener on the other side. But um, this is in, looking into the past. And I think we forget that there were problems there too in those days, as in our days. But I think so, so much was his agony that he thought, oh, how I wish I was back in those days when, when um, you know, Nephi crossed the waters, where they seem to be more righteous because of the state that everything's in right now. Um, I think it's very valid to have those thoughts. But, you know, that, that's one thing that I picked up there that sometimes I think we could also wish the same because of things that are happening either in our own lives or in, in the world in general. Definitely. And like you said, it may seem enticing to look back and think of things as being easier or different or maybe I would fit in better then or even during a previous stage of our lives, you know, maybe not that far back, but just like when I was a kid, things were better. People treated people with more respect. And maybe to some degree that's true, but he looks back on Nephi's time as being so much more righteous and whatever. And I'm like, they tied up Nephi how many times to kill him? You know, like, I don't know that it was necessarily that much more righteous back then. It was different, right? Mm-hmm. And in our time versus when we were kids or when our parents were kids or grandchildren or grandparents were kids, it may, some things may have been easier and some things may have been a lot harder. It was different. It was a different time. But yeah, then it makes you think, okay, so what about the present is better? What do I have an easier time with? Well, we have access to the scriptures like never before. Access to general conference like never before. Access to information. We have social media from the brethren, you know, that that never happened before. You could get a comment from them any given day, whereas 50 years ago, you had to wait till general conference, you know, Hmm. or for them to come to your stake or whatever. Um, they're able to translate their words into however many languages is necessary. Whereas back in the day, it was like, if you didn't speak English, maybe good luck, you know? <laughs> and so, like, a, a lot of our technology and a lot of the things that we have today, I think, are easier now. That also opens up the window for evil as well, you know? So, it, it's kind of one of those things, yeah, where I think he's he's doing that because he's so... He's so burdened by the wickedness that he sees. But at the same time, he kind of acknowledges that there is a there are things that are happening and there are ways that he can be an instrument in fixing that as well. I like um I like how in verse eleven it just <laughs> a little bit interesting to me. <laughs> it says and it came to pass that there was a certain man passing by, and he saw Nephi that he was pouring out his soul unto God upon the tower. And they ran and told the people what they had seen. And the people came together in multitudes that they might know the cause of such great mourning for the wickedness of the people. So it's interesting <laughs> that, you know, he's, he's there pouring his heart out. And this, in the, in just the curiosity of people wanting to know what, why are you mourning? What's, what happened? Why, what's, what's wrong, you know? And then um, he kind of tells them in 15, because of my mourning and lamentations, you have gathered yourself together and do marvel. And you have great need to marvel. Yea, you have to marvel because you are giving away 
ye are given away that the devil has got a great hold upon your hearts. And how could you have given away to the enticing of him who is seeking to hurl away your souls down into everlasting? And then in verse 17, I think it's one of those verses that for me, when he says, Oh, repent ye, repent ye. Why will ye die? Turn ye, turn ye unto the Lord your God. Why has he forsaken you? It is because ye have hardened your hearts. Yea, ye will not hearken unto the voice of the good shepherd. Yea, ye have provoked him to anger against you. And behold, instead of gathering you, except ye will repent, behold, he shall scatter you forth, and he shall, he shall become meat for dogs and wild beasts. Now, just his, uh, I don't know, I just, there's so much feeling here of him trying to just get across to them. And and it sounds, you know, it, you know, in verse 19, sounds a little bit Old Testament style, like <laughs> kind of like, uh, uh, it just sounds pretty harsh, but we also know that these people were so blessed. They had prospered so much. They had been protected so many times and delivered time after time again, and prophets after prophets after prophet. In in that prosperity, they hardened their hearts. They distanced themselves from the Lord. And I can't help but to think about our day. I can't help but to think about myself. When I go to the Lord and I really, really need help, I catch myself, man, I probably should have come here first. You know, I should have thought about the Lord first. I, sh- I shouldn't have waited till the second or the third time. Or, or I shouldn't have been lackadaisical, you know, or, or gotten relaxed on the commandments or, or, or on my worship. And it's kind of a lesson to all of us. Like, how do we maintain ourselves sharp you know like moroni like alma and how do we prevent ourselves slipping because all of these people were righteous at one point and they have good desires and he stirs in them those feelings most of the time when you're when we're on missions and we're preaching or we're sharing our testimony that's what it's doing it's just stirring in someone else what they also know to be true and and it's and so I, I just I just kind of wonder like what can we do to help us turn ye turn ye to the Lord quicker so it's not you know a a thirty degree turn but it's a very fast one eighty right I think it comes down to regular course correction not allowing yourself to go too long before you check back am I doing the right thing. Because, yeah, you might find that you're way off by the time you got a course correct, and it's pretty hard to do that. But if you're constantly going in and checking, am I doing the right stuff? And, I mean, it used to be, we still do have kind of sacrament meeting in our homes, but it was a lot more formal event when it was in the church building. It was a lot more, I don't know, in some ways it was easier, and in some ways it's easier to do it at home. There's no time limit at home. You can take as long as you want to reflect and it take, you know, your sacrament meeting can be 15 minutes or it can be an hour if you want it to still be an hour. But I think that that's an excellent opportunity when we take a, when we partake of the sacrament to really look at ourselves and course correct, you know, a week at a time. You're not going to get into too much trouble after a week, right? <laughs> you can't 
straighten yourself back out again. I think, I think that's right. Um, I like what you said about seeing where we are, like reflecting, pondering, where, where are we and what courses do we need to take. Like, yeah, it is easier to make slight adjustments to go back in line than have to make monumental adjustments because we have let things go so far. And I guess it comes down to what the lesson at the beginning says about remembering, right? Remembering, always mm-hmm. remembering. And I think as we have that at the back of our minds, um, the gospel, the commandments, the savior, as we continually have them in our minds, and it, it does become easier to to stay on the course. So if we deviate, then not to deviate too far. I was in preparation for today. I was, we were discussing this lesson with the family and my three-year-old, I, I explained to her, let's say, because she, she likes collecting things. Um, every, every time we go out, she collects things like rocks, sticks, and has a little treasure box. And so she puts them in, and I said, well, what would happen if you have a treasure and you put it in a box and you put it under the bed and you never look at it again? I say, eventually you'll forget it's there. <laughs> and then I said, that's what happens if we do that with, with the gospel and with Heavenly Father, if we, if we kind of just put it in a box and never look at it again, we would we end up forgetting about it. And I started thinking about things that we might have in a shed or in the garage that we think are of value because we haven't thrown away, but we probably don't remember what it is because <laughs> we haven't looked looked at it in, in such a long time. Well yeah, and you think about these people that are that are talking to him and they they're asking him like what's the problem? Why are you lamenting? Because they don't even realize how full of iniquity they are. They don't even realize how off course they are. And then he starts to say, look, you want to know why I'm lamenting? Repent. Look at yourselves. You're a mess, you know. And he starts calling them to repentance. And I I think that's exactly it. You know, when you start to not pay attention to how you might be getting off course, you don't kind of course correct, you may not even realize that you're fading, you know? You may not even realize that you're forgetting what's in that treasure box until 20 years later you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? What have I been doing? And at that point, it takes a lot more work. In the Sunday School Manual, um, there's a quote from Elder Neil L. Anderson about um, following the prophets and heeding their warnings. And um, he he gives a, a story. He says, let me illustrate with an experience. Our family lived for many years in the state of Florida because Florida has a high concentration of sand. Lawns there are planted with a large broadleaf grass we called St. Augustine. A formidable enemy of a Florida lawn is a small brown insect called a mole cricket. One evening as my neighbor and I stood on the front steps, he noticed a small, a little bug crossing my sidewalk. You better spray your lawn, he warned. There goes a mole cricket. I had sprayed the lawn with insecticide not too many weeks pre- previously and I had hardly felt and I hardly felt that I had the time or money to do it again soon. In the light of the next morning, I examined my lawn closely. It was lush and beautifully green. I looked down into the grass to see if I could see any little bugs. I couldn't. I could see none. I remembered thinking, well, maybe that little mole cricket was just passing through my yard on the way to my neighbor's yard. The story, however, has a sad ending. I came out the front door one morning about 10 days later the com- after the conversa- conversation with my neighbor Shockingly, as if it had happened overnight, brown spots covered my lawn. I ran to the garden store, bought insecticide, and sprayed immediately, but it was too late. The lawn was ruined, and to return it to its former state required a new crop of sod, long hours of work, and large expense. 
My neighbor's warning was central to my lawn's welfare. He saw things I could not see. He knew something I did not know. He knew that mole crickets live underground and are actively, active only at night, making my daytime examinations ineffective. He knew that mole crickets did not eat leaves of the grass, but rather found nourishment in the roots. He knew that these li little inch-long creatures could eat a lot of roots before I would ever see the effect above ground. I paid a dear price for my smug independence. There are spiritual mole crickets that burrow under our protective walls and invade our delicate roots. Many of these insects of wickedness appear small at times almost invisible. Let us not follow the pattern I followed in dealing with my Florida mole crickets. Let us never ignore the warnings. Let us never be smug in our independence. Let us always be listening and learning in humility and faith, anxious to repent should it be necessary. It's kind of a, a, a silly little story, but at the same time it illustrates, you know, that we, we like to think that because of the gift of the Holy Ghost that we see everything or that we'll get every warning. But there are prophets for a reason, and they, they see things in a bigger picture that may not be something that we see individually. And that's why it's important to pay attention when they, when they heed warnings to us, because we may not see the threats in, a, in, in the bigger way, right? I mean, you look at the proclamation of the family. And uh, at the time, it felt, this is very much common sense. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Sounds good. Five years go by. Ten years go by. Now, almost it is it is mind-boggling how those principles taught in there are continuously under attack. And 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 it's kind of like I don't know. I it's similar to in, in chapter eight of Helaman eight. In, in verse one, it tells us that. Among the people gathered listening to Nephi, there were some of these Gadianton robbers there. And, and they were, some of them, I think it says they were judges. So they had authority. They, and, the, and then verse 2, it says, why? So they're talking to the people. Why seest thou this man? And hears him revile against his people, against our law. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of saying, look at this troublemaker. He's trying to find fault with our way of life. And there's nothing wrong with it. And then in verse 3, it says, For behold, Nephi had spoken unto them concerning the corruption, corruptness of their law. Yea, many things did Nephi speak which cannot be written. And nothing did he speak which was contrary to the commandments of God. And those judges were angry with him because he spake plainly unto them concerning their secret works. <laughs> it, you know, and then 5, Therefore they did cry unto the people, saying, why do you suffer this man to revile against us? For behold, he doth condemn all this people, even unto destruction. Yea, and he, and also that these great cities shall be taken from us. So very much like their tactic is kind of like, they think Nephi is the one that's going to bring these things to pass because he said it. Or like, can you believe this guy? You know, He's like, going to bring trouble. Why do you want to believe him when when? Yeah. When it's going to mean our destruction. And they, they make it about him. They attack him personally. As opposed to listening to the message. And I look at the thing that the, the, some of the messages are brethren. When they've come out and, and, and the brethren or the 12 have come out and said something and declared something. It, 
you won't go too far before you see this almost this identical tactic. Why do they have a problem with me? Why, you know, and why, you know, and they're just being prophets. They're just speaking plain truths, you know, and people will judge them or dismiss their advice or dismiss their counsel. Oh, why is the church so antiquated? Why? Why? You know, that that's, you know, that's that's the old way of doing it. Why can't we can do this now and it's OK or I can do this. I'm not hurting anybody or look how great our society is. Look how many freedoms we have and all this. Why? Why should we pay attention to their message? You know, it's very similar to our day, the way that Nephi is treated by these uh, Gadianton robbers. Fortunately, later on, most of the people say, no, leave leave him alone. Uh, what he's saying is true. And so the Gadianton robbers don't have the, the, um, the support to openly go after Nephi. And then Nephi, you know, he kind of speaks to them directly and says, you know, I'll tell you this mystery and look on the judgment seat and so-and-so has been murdered. And then he does like this great, I don't know, I don't know how he, well, it was revelation given to him. But but his ability to see what was going to happen, to have peace, to be able to say, you know, send some witnesses, ask him this, ask the brother, do, do you know me? Do, do you know Nephi? Was I, you know, working with you? He'll deny it and ask him, why do you kill his brother? He's going to get very nervous. Then you'll <laughs> ask him again. He'll confess it. You know, it, it was just like some amazing detective work here by, <laughs> by Nephi. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty interesting because rarely do the prophets say, hey, I'm going to give you a sign. You know, it's usually you don't need a sign. But in this case, he's like, here's a sign. The chief judge is dead on the judgment seat. Go look at it. Go figure it out. And then they go and they automatically think that the guys that were that found him were the ones who murdered him. And they also imply that Nephi was involved. And that gets all hashed out that it wasn't them. And then he's like, okay, also, like you said, go look at this, this these two guys. And this guy's murdered his brother. He gives them these signs that he's a prophet. And it does convince quite a few people. Quite a few people are like, whoa, there's no way he could have known that unless... God told him. And so some people are, are convinced and begin to follow. Many still don't. And he, so he has to go and, and begin preaching. Which he does quite effectively. But at the same time, it seems like they've reached a point of extremes, you know, where you've got these people who are very zealous in their belief and these people who are wanting to be Gadianton robbers which are so polar opposites. There's not a lot of people in the middle ground that are kind of like, yeah, I believe, but I also like to do this stuff. You know, it's like you're either or kind of. You're either in, involved in propping up the Getty Anton robbers or you're involved in, in supporting the church. T talking about that, about that, I guess, division, how some believe, some didn't. In the manual... I like how it, it says, um, that for the reading of Hillerman 9.10, it says, signs and miracles are helpful but not sufficient to build enduring faith. And so I think, so signs have a, in, you know, they're either good or bad for people because, um, so Nephi gave them a sign and there were those that believed and their faith increased 
and there were those that didn't believe and they, they probably increased their doubts even more because they were questioning had Nephi set this up, um, was he the one that um, ordered the murder of the chief, chief judge? And so there was two ways with the signs. It caused, I guess, um, faith for others and doubt, more doubt for, for others. And uh, reminds me of, you know, when Nephi was being smitten by his brothers and an angel appeared and then instead of increasing their faith, more doubt arose between Laban and Laban saying, how can we defeat Laban? And so it seems that signs can either bring more doubt to those who are doubting or, or convert those who, who might be, I guess, on the line or strengthen the faith of those who are already faithful. I was going to say that reminded me of, of the promise at the end of the Book of Mormon, Moroni. And when you have received these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I think that's the same, that same that's a principle, I think, that's eternal for every situation. If you ask and you're humble and you do it with real intent and you truly want to know, the Lord will answer you. That's what happened to Joseph Smith. That's what happened to, to many of the prophets. It's what happened to all of us. When we hear something or we get a sign or a miraculous thing happens in our life, if we look at it with real intent, we can see the hand of God. Or if we do it doubtingly, we'll forget about it and mm -hmm. we'll move on with our lives. And it's like nothing happened, right? You know, in verse 10, at the beginning, once they've solved this crime mystery, and the people are kind of, what's going on here? It, you know, in verse 10, it says, uh, and there arose a division among the people. Verse 1, I mean, chapter 10, verse 1. There arose a division among the people in so much that they divided hither and thither and went their ways, leaving Nephi alone. And he was standing in the midst of them. And it came to pass that Nephi went his way towards his own house, pondering upon the things which the Lord had shown unto him. And it came to pass that he was thus pondering, being much cast down because of the wickedness of the people of the Nephites, and their secret works of darkness, and their murderings, and their plunderings, and all manner of iniquities. And it came to pass that he was thus pondering, in his heart, behold, the voice came unto him, saying, you know, I like the next verses a lot, but I really like those verses because he was still, you know, he, him going through this experience, he, he, he goes to land northward where he's rejected and they're very wicked. He comes back home and he notices in his own town, his own hometown, they're very wicked. He gets up on the garden wall, begins to pour his heart out. And they come to him and they ask him and he says, do you really want to know why I'm mourning? It's because you're all very wicked, you know? <laughs> and then in turn, there's maybe a glimmer of hope that someone is going to be receptive to the message. But no, these Gadianton robbers in the crowd try to get him in trouble, try to twist his words against him. And then he tells them, no, this is your own doing. Look, here's a sign. Here's what's going on. And then after all of this disbursement, he's still walking home, downtrodden. And there comes the Lord to say, 
you're you're doing great. I love you. You're I'm proud of you. You're doing everything I've asked you to do. Even though it may not feel like you're being successful, you're being obedient. And because you're obedient and you do and your heart's in the right place, I'm gonna help you a little bit more here. I'm gonna give you more authority. I'm gonna give you more I'm gonna help you. You know what I mean? It's not like he wasn't helping him the whole time, you know. But but I think as sometimes we need to remember that when when we're on the Lord's errand, sometimes it can feel like this. It can feel like we went to the land northward and it didn't work out. It can feel like we we bore our heart on the garden wall, and and people just came just to to see what we we're doing. It can feel like there's people trying to use our words against us or or our actions, and then it can feel like a lonely walk home when you're still burdened and weighed down by the trouble but you're still successful you're still doing what you should be doing i think sometimes we think all these things happen very easily and quickly and it's success after success because you're a prophet no they were having this is a very difficult life it's kind of like the guy who says a lot of us want a joseph smith experience but we don't want a joseph smith life right you know and and it's kind of like this. You want a Nephi experience? Well, you better <laughs> be ready for a Nephi life that comes with that experience. Well, it's interesting because that the the division and the tumultuous times that come after that lead to conflict, physical conflict. There's a war. And how does he use this new power that the Lord has given him to kind of call for whatever is is necessary that he deems necessary he asks for a famine <laughs> which i thought was really kind of clever it's like okay we don't want to have any more destruction through combat let's bring a famine i want people to feel needy i want people to feel dependent on something bigger than themselves i want them to focus less on hurting each other and more on how do i survive how do I take care of myself and my family? And who do I turn to for help? He's hoping that this will bring people to turn more to the Lord. And in some ways it does. I mean, a lot of people are really suffering quite a bit, both Lamanites and, and, and Nephites, right? Everybody. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 11, And it came to pass that the people saw that they were about to perish by famine, and they began to remember the Lord their God, and they began to remember the words of Nephi. And the people began to plead with their chief judges and their leaders that they would say unto Nephi, Behold, we know that thou art a man of God, and therefore cry unto the Lord our God, that he turn away from us this famine, lest all the words which thou hast spoken concerning our destruction be fulfilled. Suddenly, all of this stuff that he's been saying gets real, you know? All these threats are not empty threats. It's really like, look, if you don't change, you will be destroyed. And they start to kind of come to terms with that. And they start to really say, okay, well, maybe this guy was right. Maybe we need to turn to him. Unfortunately, I think that's all too common. Like, when things are going well, we don't really turn to the Lord that much because we feel like we're okay. And oftentimes, if things aren't that bad, we're like, well... I'm okay, but it takes a catastrophe sometimes to make people wake up. A spiritual punch in the face, you know, wake up, 
quit being such a bum and be 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 more valiant be you're better than this and sometimes it takes that for people to wake up i i see people in, throughout my life who uh, have kind of strayed and they've kind of gotten lazy in in certain things and even myself i i have experienced that myself where i've said eh, it's not that big a deal or i i don't really have the time to read the scriptures all the time and then all of a sudden the lord comes and gives me a smack in the face and i'm like okay holy cow what am i doing you know i need to wake up and i think that 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 is a definitely a, a way that the lord works sometimes I mean, it is a pattern that we see right throughout the Book of Mormon. Um, times are good. Um, we forget about the Lord. Times are times are bad, um, and you remember the Lord. And I guess it, it it's even though it seems a very um, I guess heavy burden that the Lord gives us. Um, it's it's out of love because even you know I feel like that's Heavenly Father's last resort. Like I love you, I want you to, you know, to come re- return to me. But you haven't listened any other way. I'm going to give you this because I love you, and I'm hoping that this will, you know, stir you up to remembrance of, of who you are and who I am. And so, even though it's a harsh punishment, it's still out of love. Otherwise, I think he would, if that love wasn't there, Heavenly Father wouldn't even bother sending. A pestilence and or any other trial and just let us perish or say like a pandemic yeah you know <laughs> something to wake everybody up and to cause mm-hmm. everybody to look out for each other more and look out for the gospel more you know how well, do we strengthen our homes it's funny how a crisis or a difficult time really helps you to focus on what's important and it helps you appreciate What's important when when you can only take care of two things as opposed to ten things you, really quickly you know your family you know and your loved ones and you, you know they always rise up to the top but when everything's going well it's easy for family to start sliding down and then your own self gratification or your your own goals or your own ambitions you know. Or, or whatever it may be, right? I really like, you know, how when how you mentioned, I think in verse nine, when when Nephi he he uh, towards the middle of verse nine it says, and it came to pass that when Nephi saw that the people had repented and did humble themselves in sackcloth, he cried again unto the Lord, saying, and in verse ten, O Lord, behold, this people repenteth, and they have swept away the band of Gadiantans from among them insomuch that they have become extinct and they have concealed their secret plans in the earth. And I really like this. What really stuck out to me was not only have they repented, but they went and got rid of all these Gadianton robbers. And they, so it's almost like they knew the whole time (laughs) they knew that these people weren't doing what's right. And what people in power would do to appease the people, we are already seeing some of that when they were trying to uh, cast judgment on Nephi, they they would they would uh, it's almost like soothsayers. They were they were there to tell the people everything's fine. There's nothing <laughs> to worry about. We're doing great. Our laws are great. Look at this. We have 
we we created a new gladiator sport. Everybody can watch it and enjoy it. And and look, we have this. And 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 sometimes we give up knowing what's right for the entertainment or for the for this or for that. And and those, but people knew all along. And and that that really was interesting because in the best of times they probably could have gotten rid of the Gadianta robbers easier than during the middle of a famine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But they, they had to realize that. And, and it's almost like the, the roof was leaking and they needed the Lord's help in fixing the roof. And, and Nephi says, Heavenly Father, can you help us fix this roof? And the people, they cleaned the garage, they swept the carpets, they painted the walls. They are ready for the roof. So there's something like within us where we need to repent, but we also need to show our disposition. We need to be able to say, uh, Christ's atonement is infinite and it will take care of everything. But we need to take maybe one or two steps towards him. We need to bring something. We need to bring an offering. And, and to the people, it was, we need to get rid of these Gadianton robbers. And we need to get them out of this land and this these secret works they had. We need to just bury them, and it's it's poison. We cannot go down. We cannot continue down this path. Maybe I'm looking too much into that verse, but I really like that that they got rid of the Gadianton robbers. That they it's almost like they realized themselves that you know they they humble themselves and they realize Nephi is telling us the truth. Not only Nephi, but Lehi. Not only him, but Pahoran a couple of chapters ago. And, yeah. and Moronaiha, where is he at with these armies? And he passes away a few chapters. And, and, and we have Helaman as well. And we have the words of the prophets and the scriptures that have told us and given us evidence. But it also it's, shows it's, what true repentance is. It's not just saying, sorry, I did that. I'm not going to do it anymore. But it's also elimination of the threat. A complete change. Okay, if we if this led to our iniquities, having these people around, having these people manipulating us, then we got to get rid of them. Because otherwise, we're going to fall right back into it. And it's interesting because in this chapter, chapter 11, at the top it says it covers from about 20 to 6 BC. So it's a 14-year-long chapter, right? And you're talking about people who are repentant and they're changing and they're feeling the the burden of this famine and they make those changes and they get rid of the Gedeonton robbers and he says they're basically extinct. But then stuff starts to happen again. And by the end yeah. of the chapter, it says in verse 17, it came to pass that in the 80 and 5th year they did wax stronger and stronger in their pride and in their wickedness and thus they were ripening again for destruction. And it's like in 14 years, they went from kind of being prideful to experiencing a famine, to humbling themselves and fully repenting, to starting to fall into the same mess again. And yeah. gosh, it's like in hindsight and in the, you know, the 5,000, 10,000 foot view of the world, we look at it and we say, oh my gosh, these fools. But when you're on the ground and it's you day by day, we do the same stuff. 
where we start to feel good. We start to feel like, all right, I got my stuff together. I'm doing the right things. And maybe it's time that I, I, uh, <clears throat> maybe I should give a fireside or something, you know? <laughs> I think maybe I, I know some stuff. Maybe I should give a fireside. And then all of a sudden you get a little bit of people saying, wow, that was a really great fireside. And you're like, yeah, you know, it kind of was a good fireside. Maybe I should go more. And then all of a sudden you're like, who, who are you? What are you doing? You know, you start getting puffed up in yourself and thinking that you've got all this stuff. And it starts leading you down a path where you're losing track of being humble and obedient and contrite and, you know, I don't think that people realize that when we look at this pride cycle, it's all of us, man. We, we well, go through this all the time. Well, I think, you know, in, in verse uh, 26 of chapter 11, it says, And thus in time, yea, even in the space of not many years, they became an exceedingly great band of robbers, and they did search out the secret plans of Gadianton, and thus they became the Gadianton robbers again, right? <laughs> so... And, and then, be, you know, a little bit before that, it says they did commit murder, 25, and plunder. They retreated back in the mountains. They hid, you know, they received daily additions. We, we think that these Gadianton robbers were like some external faction that came in and kind of took over. It was the same people. It was your neighbors turning in. And, and uh, because they got rid of them. You know, Nephi said they, they drove them out of the land. They became extinct. And then in verse 24, if we go back a little bit, it starts talking about that they, they were certain dissenters. Dissenters are the people, Nephites, in some years. And they came over to the Lamanites, and, and they started, and it stirred them up to anger against them. And those dissenters, and they commenced the war with their brethren. All of these things, just the way I look at it, murder, robbing, whoredoms, uh, plundering, whatever they, all of these terrible things, they're just shortcuts. <laughs> there are people deciding to take shortcuts. There are people who say, I don't want to work, I want you to work. And you give me some of that. Or I don't like you, I'm not going to deal with you, I'm not going to talk with you, I'm just going to kill you. And now I don't have to deal with you. I, I, I want this power and I want it bad enough, I'm not going to start a store, I'm not going to build something, I'm not going to go do that and sell uh Liahona replicas by the, the seashore or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm going to become a judge and tell all those people to give me this or give me that, or I put my friend there and he'll help me and then I'll help him. You know, it's kind of a disregard for the process of how to live peacefully and coexist. It's just taking shortcuts, yep. all of these great sins. And they're the most extreme shortcuts because they really hurt people. And they and they break families and they break your own soul. You you're ripping yourself apart in your own conscience when you do terrible acts of sinfulness like this. You start becoming past feeling. You start losing remorse. You start losing your compass, and, and you can't feel what's good anymore and what's bad. You just don't feel things, and you just go after your own pleasures like the natural man. And so, in that, if in the Book of Mormon we're told that. This is one of the most important lessons, and, and it proves to be the downfall of this entire civilization, is these Gadianta robbers. This desire to take shortcuts and gratify the natural man. What in that lesson can be applied to us in our personality when we choose to 
take shortcuts, to hide our mistakes, to make things pretty on the outside, but we're rotten on the inside. We do things for the appearance of others and the glory of others, and we don't look for how Heavenly Father actually thinks of us. How can we face him? How can we be honest? And I think that if, if the Book of Mormon were a person, that would be the character flaw that brought that person down. It was this pride, this shortcut taking. And, and we can take that as a lesson for ourselves. We can look at it as a society, as a whole society. We shouldn't have corrupt judges. We shouldn't have corrupt leaders. And a lot of that we can't control. Some, some we can't control, some we can't. But within us, we better darn right be sure that we're not becoming Gaddy Anton Roberts ourselves. And I think probably a way, a way to avoid becoming a Gaddy Anton Robert would be to examine where our, where our hearts are. If our hearts are on, on treasures, on, on power, on fame, or on other things, then I think it, it could be more tempting to go that route versus if our hearts are more in line with what's important then there's, there's a chance that we'll take the Getty Anton Robert route because we're examining, I guess, where our heart is. Definitely. The, the, this, this lesson and the last lesson especially really very strongly about remembering the Lord. I think it's because the, the pride cycle has happened throughout the Book of Mormon, but in the last few, in the Book of Helaman, basically, it's like, we see it happen so quickly throughout the chapters that people are humbled, then they get prideful, then they get humbled, then they get prideful, that really the message is really very strong, that we have to remember him and that we have to be reminded that we need him. That a lot of times the answer isn't read this scripture, right? You say a prayer, hey, Lord, I need guidance. I need I need to feel peace. Okay, uh, turn your scripture to this and here's the answer. That's that. I mean, I've heard of people like opening the scripture and finding the answer that they needed right then. Sure, that can happen. But for the most part, it's like, okay, I want you to rely on me. I want you to get closer. I want because the closer you are to me, the more you'll see your flaws and the more you'll see the things you need to change and the ways that you can improve. Get closer. Remember me. Keep me in your thoughts throughout the day. Not just like, oh, I'm thinking about Jesus, but also like being like him. What would what would he do? How would he act? If he were here, what would he say? It sound may sound cheesy and like, oh, when I'm, how am I going to enact that? But I think when we make it part of our personality to kind of reflect on what's the best course of action, it's not necessarily what's going to benefit us the best, but what would be the best thing, what would Jesus do? Some when you were talking that hit me was sometimes we think that relying on the Lord, he wants us to rely on him because it's almost like we view it in our through our mortal eyes. Like if I rely on someone, then I'm not independent. Right. I'm, I'm always told what to do or I'm subservient. But the Lord, he's the right kind of leader. He's like King Benjamin, or King Benjamin's like him. <laughs> mm. You know, he's like, he's the true, what a true leader should be like, what a true father, what a true, true savior is like. 
and and we see a lot of leaders that are bad leaders and have given people bad examples, false Christ, false saviors, that have treated people bad and used people. And so we are hesitant sometimes to think that being dependent on the Lord or being dependent on someone, I don't get to be independent. And I would say being dependent on the Lord is the only way to be truly free. And you'll become free. He doesn't want to make you his slave. He wants to teach you and make you free like he does with Nephi. Where he can give them, Nephi, I give you all power. I'll let you take care of this situation because you've gotten to the level where you understand my purposes and your heart is pure. So you you take over. And Nephi is, he does tremendous and that's the thing is it's hard to teach, especially when we look at our kids, to tell a kid by following the rules, everyone progresses. We can all have fun and you can be safe. And then when you get a little bit older, you can do a little bit more. Now you can ride a bicycle. You know? You're a little bit older, you can ride a bicycle to grandma's house. You're a little bit older, you can drive a car. A little bit older, you can go to college. A little bit. And all of these steps are great. And we want our kids to be independent. We want them to learn habits, learn skills. But we don't give them rules so they stay a three-year-old forever. We say, we give you rules so you become the best three-year-old. And then we're going to send you over to four-year-old. You're going to learn something new again. And then, But we do it in, in safe parameters. Because one of the worst things is to give a child too much before they're ready. And then they have bad experiences, they hurt themselves, they hurt others, or they become shy, or, or, or they have a bad experience and they never want to try that again. And, and that's, as a parent, it's our job to gauge that in our child and say, you're ready for this. And let me set, let me set the boundaries, let me get the pillows and put them around here so you don't bonk your head, but you're ready to go. And when you master that comes the next thing. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants of us. And that's Christ. He's called the Good Shepherd because he knows how to lead us, to take us from this state to the next one to the next one until we are ultimately free. The one that is doing the opposite is Satan. Satan is promising you all the freedom. Do whatever the heck you want, and ultimately he will rule you. You will be his slave. You will be a slave to your appetites and you will lose your freedom. His freedom comes at the cost of all your freedom. There's a lot a lot in those chapters, I think, that you could dive dive very deep. You know, like yeah. he got Nephi the ceiling power and go into that and then um in about well, sorry, just a random thought going back to the the Nephi asking for the war to be changed to pestilence. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking that maybe the reason that that happened was because of the, that one was more of an equalizer. Whereas in the war, you have some that are stronger, some that are weaker, versus this, it will affect everyone the same. And so everyone's on the same footing. And so maybe that's what caused them to eventually, you know, repent because they were all suffering the same thing and i think about the, the pandemic that we have now we're all pretty much suffering the same thing rich poor um young old 
we're all kind of going through the same things as well. And so kind of everyone's on, on the same footing. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought of that, that, that the reason why he chose a famine would be to impact everyone. It was a society-wide thing, you know? Yeah. Well, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to punish everybody, you know? Right. He was trying to help them be humble. To remember the Lord. And I think sometimes, you know, we think <laughs> we think bad things happen to us because we won't, we're being punished. And sometimes bad things happen to us so we can remember what's important. So we can be humble. And they're, they, they're both not fun. It's not fun for bad things. No one likes <laughs> it. But if we remember to humble ourselves and to think, there's got to be a better way. And Jesus Christ is that better way. It's been really stuck in my mind what Mormon says, you know, when is it at the beginning, Helaman 1, 2, or 3, where he says, and, and you will see that these Gadianton robbers became the reason for the downfall of this entire civilization. And he says, and I'm not speaking of the book of Helaman, I'm speaking of the entire book of Mormon. And I was like, like, I've heard that before, but it was this time I was like, what? And so if the Book of Mormon is written for our day, and the key message in the Book of Mormon is, or one of the key messages, is these Gadianton robbers. Then, and that's where I was thinking, like, well, maybe it's not so much about a civilization as it is these attributes and characteristics inside of us. Yep. You know? Like, how am I... Because, I mean, these people, they, they are righteous one day. Well, and then four years later, they're part of this band of robbers, you know. And it's funny because the robbers cannot exist without the people to, to kind of, they're like parasites. They need the people to live, to function, for their program to function. Up to the point where later on, I don't know if it's here, but later on, the people gather themselves together. And the Gadianta robbers are in the wilderness. And they have to come for the people because they don't have a way of supporting themselves except through murdering and plundering. And then, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. I don't know. It definitely makes you reflect on, you know, like, do I have Gadiantan tendencies? Or can I identify when those around me start to have that so I can help them not act that way you know not necessarily am i murdering people but you know like am i starting to take those shortcuts that might lead me down to worse and worse things and that if it destroyed an entire civilization it can destroy a person it can destroy a family it can destroy a community little by little allowing well, those little things to come in one of the things destructive. that i that i thought of was there's something about the sins that the Gadianton robbers do that require other people to be involved. And, the, and, um, and then I was thinking, there are sins that I do, almost all of them, that will hurt and affect others. And in turn, they may decide to join me or they may hurt others. You, you know, it's almost, it becomes like this, this sin epidemic 
where oh and i and i bet within these gadianta robbers they were classes and different types you know because i don't know it just seems so messed up you know but but you look at our these robbers could bring down a civilization where one of us one of these traits can bring down our other good traits they can smother out our testimony they can smother out our other talents that were given to us so we can bless and help others' lives. And, and so there are some of these things that cannot be allowed to exist. There are certain, I think, I don't know. This is my opinion, okay? It was just all of this. You guys <laughs> never have to talk to me again. But I think there, there are certain things that we can, you know, hey, you lied. Oh, yeah, okay. You littered. Uh, you lost your temper. Okay. You know, you know, certain things are just keep going, just keep working on it. And then there's some that it's like, you shouldn't even get close to entertaining that. Yeah. You should stay far, far away because that will sink the ship. And it might be different for everyone. What that is, you know, for some people, maybe they can handle certain things and get away from it quickly. And it doesn't affect them as much. Whereas someone else might bump up against that and it takes them down a hole. And so that, you know, that's when it kind of comes in about not judging others for what their, what their weaknesses are, because just because you don't have a weakness in that doesn't mean that other people might not, it might be a weakness for them. And just because other people are strong in that, you shouldn't beat yourself up if that's your weakness. Everyone's got different situations. And everyone has different tendencies and, and things that will either lead them to greatness or lead them to destruction, right? And we have to be kind of aware of what those things are for us and for our loved ones, too, to be able to help them. Yeah, it, like what you said, you have to be aware, being aware of what your weaknesses are, what your, you know, because that's where the adversary will strike. <laughs> I was taking a class a few months ago on... Um, like an information security and one of the first steps that I guess that can happen when a when a hacker wants to get into a network they they do like a, a network a situational awareness of okay let's 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 scout this network look for openings and you kind of just at the beginning they don't attack they're just trying to see what's out there what kind of system you have what what servers what you know what equipment and you just kind of get a an overall feeling for what's out there and then you start noticing oh there's an opening here there's an opening there and so reflecting to ourselves like we have those vulnerabilities and we need to to make sure they're not they're not um i guess compromised now. yeah and then when if if satan is able to detect them we need to detect them too and either start to fortify that or at least be aware, you know, this this is going to be a lifelong struggle for me. And that that's okay because I got to have some kind of challenge, but I can't allow it to overcome me. I can't allow it to, uh, I can't neglect that that area, well, you know. Well, we say, you know, you know, Satan knows what those weaknesses are, but so does Christ. Yeah. You know? And he will, if you go to him, he will help you with that. 
the Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.